If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses. Um, and over these uh, last six weeks now, we've been in this series through the book of Ephesians. If you're just joining us, we have been looking, zeroing in on this whole theme that we are made alive, and specifically, as we've talked before, we're made alive in Christ, that our identity is in Christ. And last week, we looked at how we are reconciled by Christ, the cornerstone, which gives us access to the Father. And really, Paul's really hammering home what you'll hear me say a lot is that it's all about Jesus and our identity is in him. It's in Christ Jesus. And so now in our text, Paul's, as we look at chapter three, he's kind of doing a continuation somewhat of the end of chapter two. And in our text, we see Paul open up and begin to share with the church what his current state is, where he's in prison. But then he quickly shifts to focus on why he's there, why he's in prison, because there's a great purpose in his imprisonment. He's not just saying, listen, I'm, I'm just in this space with just because I've been thrown in and it's just kind of I'm going along in the process. He's saying, no, there's great purpose to my imprisonment. And all of us at some point have walked through something or are currently walking through something now that can have great purpose like this. Because God desires to use our story for his glory. And God uses Paul's story here. He used Paul's story in a unique way to spread the gospel message. But I think what we need to understand is that it wasn't just Paul who was sitting in his study and going, man, this Jesus is awesome. I'm, I'm going to decide to follow him. Because prior to Paul becoming a Christian, his name was Saul, and he hated the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He did not like them, and he did not like this movement called Christianity. He was not empathetic or compassionate towards those who didn't share in his racial, cultural, or religious heritage. So he was not for those in Christianity in these two camps. And then he meets Jesus. And we see in in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus meets Paul where he is at. And all of a sudden, Paul then realizes from going from Saul to Paul, new new identity. It's not about Jew or Gentile. It's about Jesus. And them being brought together both near and far. And he receives a new identity in Christ. And then in Christ, he gets reconciled together with those who are not of his lineage, not of his heritage, and not of his bloodline. And the calling on Paul's life then really shifts, and and his desire is that the world, the whole world, would come to know Jesus. And he even calls himself saying, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. So saying that his mission is specifically to this group of people who are not originally God's chosen people. And he tells us to the church that we can see in Galatians in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And so what Paul said earlier, what we read last year or last week in chapter two of verse 17 was that Jesus came and preached peace. 
to the near, to the, to the near-ish and the far-off to unite them together in Christ. And so now what Paul is getting at, what we're going to read is that he is telling us about his own story, how he was saved and brought near and how God has really changed his heart, changed his whole life, turned it completely upside down and he gave him a great purpose in spreading the gospel to the Galatians. But as he starts out with informing the church that he's in prison, his focus is not on, here's what you need to think about with me in prison. Here's how you need to focus on my imprisonment. No, he he allows them to understand. He wants them to understand his position, but his focus is still on getting the word out about Jesus. In fact, in the text, we will read that Paul's actually really looking at it and going, this is a pretty good opportunity for my objective, this is a great opportunity for me to spread the gospel. So, so now he's thinking, I've got more attention, more controversy around me than ever, and, and this is a great thing. And it escalates and it elevates the opportunity to talk with people about Jesus. And so Paul's saying, understand where I'm at for you, but I'm with you, and this is my objective for Christ's glory. And Paul's understanding of his position is that he is being afflicted for others' good that it can help others, it can serve others, and it can introduce others to Jesus. So he doesn't see his prison as a place where he can do nothing but just sit around. He sees it as a great starting point of his ministry, of his continuation of his ministry. And so as we read our text this morning, this is Paul's position from prison But his focus is really to share with the church the mystery that has been revealed to him, that God has revealed to him in Christ. And so what Paul is saying that we see from our text and what becomes really our sentence this morning is that we are fellow heirs through the good news of the gospel being revealed in Christ. And so for us, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind me. And also, we have ESV Bibles out in the commons at the Connection Center. And if you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you, and you can have that. But this will be up on the screen right now behind me. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, through, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 
So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul really says, listen, this is my position, but this is, this is my message. This is what I want you to focus in on. And so he really communicates to the church, specifically to the Gentiles, that we are fellow heirs. We are fellow heirs with those that God has chosen as his people. And the term fellow heirs really relates to that mystery that God has revealed to Paul in Christ. That God has united both Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And through this, they now have equal status before him. They have equal access to him and an equal share in the promise of redemption. And in Christ, this means we are approved before God. In Christ, specifically, not on our own as we've talked about before, but in Christ, we are approved as fellow heirs. Now, I think one of the things that's, that's sometimes tricky for us, because in our culture, there's all of this need for approval, whether approval of opinion, whether approval of approach, there's this need and desire in our own heart for approval. And even sometimes in, in, our, in our acquiring of other things, there's this approach of needing approval. I remember getting our car a couple of years ago, a Ford Escape. And to me, that's a really nice car. Okay, for you, that may not be a really nice car, but for us, that was a really nice car. And our hope was to get this family vehicle. And it was 48 hours of agony. We went down on a Wednesday. We, we looked at we looked at this vehicle and we did so much work on our own to try and get it. All of these things we had to meet for the criteria to be accepted. We had to show proof of employment. We had to show our ID. They had to copy it, make sure that we weren't felons trying to steal the car, all of these things. And previously, we had even done a lot of work to build up our credit in the hopes that we would be approved of receiving this. I remember sitting at Starbucks waiting for the call. So much doubt and so much wondering and just really having that question in my mind, will we be approved? Will we be accepted? And we hadn't even driven the car yet. We hadn't even driven the thing. I mean, it could have been rusted out with no engine in it and we just went on faith. And so we're just thinking, man, this hopefully will come together. We're, we're just sitting there thinking, will we be approved? See, we have been approved before God by Christ in us. So the important part of us understanding we are fellow heirs, it's not by the work that we've done, it's by the finished work of Jesus that we become fellow heirs. It's by Christ in us, which is now our hope that Paul says. So it's not our credit, it's not our doing, it's not the make sure we do all of these things to be approved. Those who put their faith in Christ have been approved, have become fellow heirs. But at one time before Christ, we were apart from God and outside looking in. We were not a part of this family. But now because of the cross, we are brought near and Jesus Christ has established and become our peace. And so we share in this inheritance. It's much like adoption. For me, having a one-year-old boy, if we bring in a child through adoption and we adopt this child, that child shares in the same inheritance that my son does. We, we've signed on the dotted line and says, it's not by all this that you do, but we're bringing you in. We are receiving you and you share in this inheritance. And I think sometimes for us, as we look at being fellow heirs, a really great example, as Paul talks about being of the household of God, the family of God, family's really messy. 
Family's really messy. And all of us have different stories of family. And if we've ever been to a family reunion, then we really know it's messy. So there's this whole process. And Paul is really pointing out, listen, you have been brought together, united together, and called fellow heirs. You who were far off, what he says in chapter 2, you are now brought near in Christ. In Christ, you are now this family. And Paul points out in verse 6 of chapter 3, what we read earlier is that this mystery, as the Gentiles are fellow heirs, means they are members of the same body. He says, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we are fellow heirs through the good news of the gospel. And that word gospel means good news. But like I've said before, news can only be good if it invades bad space. News can only be good if it invades bad space. And so the need for good news, there's no need at all for good news if everything's good. And so it has to invade some bad space. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that God, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, he is infinite and perfect as creator. He created all things for his glory. And at one point or another before Christ in us, you and I have belittled that. We've belittled his name. We've belittled his glory. And every one of us at one time or another before Christ have believed that our way is better than God's way. And so what happens then is then our identity without Christ is sinner. And and often and constantly is this issue of man's refusal to submit to God. And so we fail to give him glory for the gifts he's given us. We question his authority over our lives with the brain he's given us, with, with the lungs and the air that he's given us to breathe breath of life. We question these things. And so we've all belittled God and rejected God saying, our way is better. Our method is better. And because God is just, right, and holy, he's not going to allow the belittlement of his name. He's not going to allow this to continue because God is perfect. And so not being able to spare wrath because a holy God can have nothing to do with sin, what he does is he sends Christ in the flesh. And in our place, he sends him to the cross. And Christ then pays for what we had to pay for. And he crushes him. And so by God doing this, He pours out all of his wrath on the children of God, now onto the Son of God, killing him. And so what happens is as God raises Christ from the dead, the same power that he raised Christ from the dead with is now at work in those that would believe. And so there's this identity shift that happens, and this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus stepped into our place so we could step into his. He took on our identity of sinner on the cross so that we could have our identity new in him. He came and preached peace to those that were far off, that they would be brought near and united together in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel, that you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, but by Christ's works, by Christ's finished work. And so we then are fellow heirs through this good news of the gospel that is being revealed in Christ. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that one of the things I talk a lot about is Jesus. 
And if you've, if you've read any of the New Testament authors, including Paul, you know that they talk a lot about Jesus. And if you stick around for a couple more weeks, you'll find that we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. So here's what Paul is saying to those who were near, those who were near-ish, and those that were far off that have been united together. He's saying, listen, Jesus is everything. In this, Jesus is everything. Now let me tell you, my, my story is that I really grew up believing that, that for me, I had the religious debtor's view. For me, I grew up in, in, in this kind of religious environment where it was do more, try harder, do better. And, and so for me, that really influenced my relationship with God. And, and what, most of what I teach and communicate of here's some things we need to unlearn is really influenced by that. And I grew up really seeing the cross and Jesus coming to save us as really important, but I never understood fully from what. What are we saved? I understand our sin, but how does that change things? Because I didn't get that Jesus came to fulfill what I never could. Jesus came to finish what I could not complete. And that he, Jesus, didn't come to do away with what God put in place through the temple, through the covenant, but to fulfill all of that in himself for the glory of God. And I remember many years ago driving around with my wife and the night before I was going to teach about Jesus, in fact, it was Christmas Eve and I had the responsibility of teaching um, multiple services at Mount Vernon for Christmas Eve. And I had one sentence to my message, not knowing what to preach because there was such a, a weight of feeling that I didn't fully grasp something that needed to be said because I still had not yet seen how Jesus came to fulfill and the incredible message of that gospel truth. So let me tell you this, that, that God really used multiple people, my wife included, to really just share with me, for me to understand what is being revealed in Christ. That, that God, as we see throughout the whole message of Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God did not do away with the temple. God did not remove our need for a high priest. He has not forgotten our inability to reckon, that, that we cannot reconcile ourselves on our own to him. God completed all of this in Christ. And so really, this is what Paul's really hammering home. Jesus is everything. Because you got to remember that the people that he's talking to, they have different backgrounds. And that may explain them, but that no longer defines them. Christ defines them. And so he's saying, listen, let's take a new definition here. Because Jesus is God's completed plan for our lost world. Jesus is now our high priest. Jesus is now the new covenant. Jesus is now our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, there are over 350 prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice because Jesus is everything. And so all of this is what is revealed in Christ, that we are grafted in with those who God has called his chosen people. We are together now fellow heirs with those who are God's chosen people. So now with our identity in Christ, we are, as Paul said earlier in chapter two, fellow citizens with the saints in 2.19 and members of the household of God, a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the spirit. 
into 20 through 22. And then Paul tells us in verse 12 that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now remember Paul's position. This, remember Paul's position where he's in prison. And this is not cozy prison. This is scary prison. This is a rough place. And the thing that he's telling the church is you have boldness and access with confidence through your faith in Christ Jesus. Not in yourselves. This confidence and this boldness is not from yourselves, but it is from Christ. So we individually and corporately, as the church, have the wonderful privilege of peace and reconciliation with God and access to God as Father. Remember, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. God is, it is not distant and Father who is not present, but in Christ, our relationship is reconciled to the Father and through that, he is called Abba, Dad. It's personal. That relationship is close. And this is the good news, that we've been reconciled both to those that were near, those that were far off, reconciled together. And we have been reconciled with God in our relationship with him through Christ. So this is the good news being revealed in Jesus. But the question for us that I think and I think Paul is really positioning the church to understand what are you doing with this good news? This is the good news that changes our identity, changes us from the inside out. So what are you doing with this good news? See, God has given us this truth revealed to the apostle Paul in Christ so that in our current position, this can be our focus that we can share with those that, that don't yet know that that mystery has not yet been revealed to them, that they don't yet see that revelation but has been revealed here. What are you doing with that good news? So the mystery for us, as it is revealed, becomes our message, becomes our message, that we are no longer, as Paul points out in, in chapter two, he, he tells us in our identity in Christ, we're fellow citizens, members of the household of God, a, a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. But before Christ, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. This is what we were before, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's before Christ, but now in Christ our message is that we are fellow heirs. In Christ, we are fellow heirs through the good news of the gospel being revealed in Christ. And so Paul makes it really clear. Don't, don't forget this. As you acknowledge where I'm at, don't mourn that I'm here. Acknowledge that I'm here because this is what I'm doing with this good news for your sake. This is what I'm doing. I, I want you to understand you are fellow heirs through the good news of the gospel being revealed in Christ, that Christ is everything. Let's pray.